here. I haven't been to the East Coast in a really long time. In fact, I don't even know when was the last time I was here. It's so beautiful. I see a God's beauty all over. I'm just stunned by it. Maybe if you've grown complacent by it, wake up. Because <laughs> it's really beautiful. And like she said, we have earthquakes and fires and mudslides. You forgot the mudslides. All right. I just want to make sure. That's our weather. Yeah, those are our three seasons. Yikes. Okay, so here's the thing. We're going to start tonight. I'm going to talk about prayer tonight. We'll end up with Hannah in 1 Samuel, who is very instructive for women on prayer. And then tomorrow, we're basically going to look at the entire history of the world. You're going to love it. Strap in. We're going to go around the history of the world. And then we're actually going to be raptured, and we're going to go to the Bema. We're going to go to the seat of judgment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to go there. And just, you know, in case you want to know what we're going to do. And then we're going to end up with the glory of God. And so that's kind of going to be our little roadmap. But for tonight, we're just going to talk about prayer because it is the most powerful thing you can do. And one famous Christian dead guy said this, that the one concern the devil is, has is to keep saints from prayer. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. So, what is this powerful thing called prayer that makes the devil tremble? I want to make him tremble. Prayer Ladies, is simply talking to God. It is a conversation with God. To have sweet communion is to have one continual conversation with God. No relationship can grow without communication, right? Now, if my husband and I only spoke on Sundays and Easter and Christmas, we would not have that good of a relationship, okay? So prayer is how we communicate with God. It is the divine communication system that God himself created for his children. It's like breathing. It is the, it's that vital for our life. Prayer air. Jesus prayed about everything. And if he prayed about everything, what? how much more important it is for us. Spurgeon put it this way, prayer is the natural outgushing of a soul in communion with Jesus. I like that. But the noise and the busyness of this world distracts us from the quiet, sweet conversation with our Jesus. We live in a society when people are talking or texting with somebody all the time. My mother, before she died, even in her Alzheimer's, she would notice people out in the world, and she said, you know, they're all afraid to be alone. I thought that was such an interesting observation. I look, because I don't use my phone that much, I look at dog pictures. <laughs> But I don't use it that much. So I'm the one looking up, and I see everybody else like this. They're missing everything. So they're in one continuous conversation with countless people, and there's so much time and effort put into all these texting and, and all this talking. Time magazine put out a poll because they were very interested in this wireless world. 
and this was a few years ago now, but think about this, 80% of 18 to 24-year-olds sleep with their cell phones. Not just in the room, they sleep with their cell phones. That's a big number, 80%, okay? 68% <laughs> of them have them in their bedrooms. So I saw that, I purposely put mine in the kitchen unless there's an emergency and there's somebody in the hospital and I'd have to be you know, on call, I'll put it in the bedroom. 30% of the people polled felt anxious without their cell phone. Where's my cell phone? And here's the thing that really got me. 65% of people, if they had a choice between their cell phone or their lunch, they'd take their cell phone. Think about that. They would rather go without food than have their, be without their cell phone. This is a dangerous time we live in. The attention span, get this, the attention span of people today, because I've already lost you, is <laughs> 13 seconds. The publisher of the poll said this, these mobile devices makes us more powerful and omniscient. And he says, a Mozambique kid has access to the entire London Museum. We are living in extraordinary times. The world is so small now, and all knowledge is at our fingertips. But you never have to learn anything anymore. You never have to process anything anymore at a deep level because you can know anything at the touch of a button. And I, I'm, I'm right there with you. Let's Google it. Let's Google it. Let's Google it, right? So I came up with, you have a society of brilliant idiots. We don't know how to, we don't know how to process and think. I shudder to think what the world will be like in 20 years. I'm talking to a young pastor's wife over here. What is she going to deal with in 20, 40, 60 years? Hopefully the Lord will come. <laughs> what kind of relationships will you have? What, what kind of people will you be? But more importantly, what kind of relationship will you have with your God? And I pray for young people. I pray they develop that vital conversation with God, open, honest with your creator who has created this divine and yet, yes, it's mysterious way of communicating because prayer is mysterious. It's mysterious to me. Is it mysterious to you? <laughs> it's odd. <laughs> I mean, I'm all alone, right? You're all alone when you're praying and I pray out loud. Everything changed when I started to pray out loud because it made it more real to me. It also made it less... Um, I, I didn't get lost in my mind so much and I could hear and I could almost hear God kind of moving me to a scripture and moving me through the, the word. It was fascinating when I started to pray out loud. But, you know, I'm praying to God who can see me, but I can't see him. I, I'm not hearing his voice, his audible voice, but he hears me. And he knows every need before I even speak it. The creator of the universe is listening to me, little Miss Nobody, a speck of dust on a gnat's eyelash, and he's listening to me? Prayer's odd. 
It's mysterious, and yes, it's kind of confusing, because if you try to figure it out, you will go down a black abyss. I know I tried. I tried to figure out prayer. But you know, that's a stupid thing to do. <laughs> I started asking the same old questions that everybody asked about prayer through the centuries. You know them, you've probably asked them. What's the point of praying if God already knows everything anyway? right? Or, or, or what's the point of praying if God is sovereign and he is going to take care of everything anyway? And what's the point of praying if God is in his heaven and he's going to do whatever he pleases? And, and do I think that I can really persuade God? You've asked these questions. This is what we ask, right? So when I get an answer to a prayer, did my prayer actually do something? Did I really move God, the creator, to do something from my puny little prayer? I did? Oh, no, what does that do to my pride? <laughs> I mean, truly, you can't figure prayer out because, you know, we're just decorated dust. We're just crumbling clay. And then it gets even more complicated when you go to Mark eleven twenty four that says, all things which you pray and ask, believe you have already received them and they will be granted to you. I don't understand that. <laughs> that presupposes that what I'm asking is in God's will, right? But what you're praying, what if, what if you're praying something that could be God's will? You know, it's a good thing. And you, but it could be, and it may not be. It, it could go either way. What do you do? Well, I learned something from George Mueller. You know that guy with the orphans? Forget the orphans. Have you ever heard the story about the fog? I'm going to tell you the story about the fog because this instructed me on Mark 11:24. This is an incredible story because he was on a ship. You know, they all went back and forth on ships everywhere. I'm so glad I didn't live them. I hate ships. <laughs> but anyway, he was on a ship and he was going to a speaking thing and he, a storm came, a fog, the fog overtook everything, and the captain said, you know what, we can't go any further, it is too dangerous, we're not going, and George Mueller said, no, uh, I have to get where I'm going, and we're going to go down into the hull of the ship, and we're going to pray, so they went down, the two of them, to pray, and George Mueller prayed that the fog would be lifted, and then the captain started to pray, and he put his hand on the captain's shoulder and said, stop praying because you don't believe it. He walked up, and that fog was gone. I said to my husband, who knows everything, <laughs> I said, how did he know that was God's will? And Donnie said, it's because he was so close to the Lord, he just knew. So I've had a couple little tiny, no fog has been lifted, but I've had a couple little tiny moments of George Mueller fog. And it, it has instructed me because I can't pray believing. We had somebody who was disciplined out of the church in a horrible, abusive marriage. Horrible. Just, I can't even begin to tell you because it was so horrible, the things this man did. And my husband said to me, pray for his salvation. I said, I will not, because right now I don't believe. 
I believe he's in judgment from God, and I don't believe. Now, that could change, but right now, I can't pray or I'll be in sin. But when I can believe, it's amazing. Now, I have an 80, he's 89-year-old now, but I, he was 88-year-old when he was, he took a fall, a really bad fall. And his wife called me from the hospital on Monday. It was a bad fall. And she said, I want you to pray for Burton, and I want to have him come home by Wednesday. I said, okay, this is my prayer partner. She's 88 now. And so I hung the phone up, but I didn't believe it. He's 88. He's old. Ha, he could die. Right? So I went to my prayer closet, and I got out my large print Bible, and I went to the Gospel of Mark, and I was in Mark 4 and 5. I said, Lord, I'm bringing you all my unbelief. I don't believe he's going to go home. And he brought me to Mark 4 and 5, which is a whole series of miracles, starting with um, um, cleansing the leper, and then calming the sea, Right? and then casting out the demons, and then raising the dead. And after I was praying through those two chapters, my eyes got off the 88-year-old man and onto the Almighty God, and I said, oh, you can do anything. Okay, I'm going to pray he gets home. And I actually believe he was home by Wednesday. So did my prayer do something? I don't know. But it did something to me. What happened? God got bigger. And if there's one thing I've been praying for you, ladies, is that God will get bigger to you this weekend. That was my little George Mueller moment that has instructed me in my prayer life. Because even when I don't believe something, I take my unbelief to him. I believe, help my unbelief. And I take it all to him, honestly. So we devote ourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. That's out of Colossians. But what are we watching for? Well, we're watching to see his hand. I've been sitting in the passenger seat, driving through these beautiful streets, and I see his hand everywhere. The divine painter has just been lavishing this beautiful scenery. I'm stunned as I drive. I'm not driving, I'm sitting. But in prayer, we are asking God to change things. We're asking God to change people, circumstances. But is change really possible? And then you start to doubt if prayer is making any difference. And then it gets very uncomfortable because why? Because you come face to face with your unbelief, right? Your, your mind, you can, you can get paralyzed trying to figure out prayer. So how do we pray believing that it has already happened? Well, the study note in the MacArthur Study Bible helped me when it said this, quote, it is not the believer's responsibility to figure out how it can be true. Simply be faithful and obedient to the command to pray, unquote. Okay, I can do that. Beyond that, any kind of figuring out, don't do it. Just be faithful to command to pray and take all your unbelief to the Lord. Don't try to figure anything out. Just move, keep praying. Because if we could figure out prayer, we would be omniscient, right? Then we would be God. So we'll never figure it out. So 
As creatures, we will never understand prayer. Adults try to figure out the cause of things. They analyze things. They scrutinize everything. But little children don't. This is what happens when we actually slow down enough to pray, when we get quiet enough to pray and we turn off the noise uh, um, and the unplug from this world of technology that we're in, we're faced with all the quiet and it's very uncomfortable, isn't it? When you actually get yourself quiet enough, it's very, very uncomfortable. And we get a glimpse of how really unspiritual we are. (laughs) And it's difficult to concentrate on God. So Jesus encourages us by drawing our attention to children. And he says, we have come to him. We are to come to him like these little children. So um, I have a little video that will kind of bring home this point. Because children just blurt things out, don't they? they? They don't filter anything. They just blurt it out. And he welcomes all our faltering steps, our pitiful prayers. So I want to show you this little video um, it's just a couple minutes long. It's not a big thing, but it'll illustrate the point.
But you notice how they talk they, without pretense. They're all over the place without filtering, without judging themselves. They just talk. Ladies, that's how you begin to pray to your heavenly father with no affectations, no fancy words, just honest, laid open, bare, raw. You just talk to him. One continual conversation with God. You ask like a child. You believe like a child. Please. What if he says no? Please. I, she, she instructed me. Little Olive is her name. You become like a child. Just pray and don't waste time trying to figure it out. Don't try to get it right. Just pray. And you just like a child and come to him. Maybe some of you are weary and heavy laden. Maybe some of you are angry and sad, disappointed, frustrated, scared. We don't have to fix ourselves up and then go pray. You pray and God fixes you. Come as you are. That's how we come to Christ in the first place, right? You don't get fixed up and then get saved. <laughs> no, you come a mess, the vilest offender who truly believed. And he saves you, and he gives you a new soul. That's why the Savior God has to be your creator, because he creates in you a new soul. You come as you are. You tell him everything. And when you cannot be completely honest with God in your prayers, when you cannot be real with him and tell him everything in your heart, if you cannot pour out your soul to him, then you are no longer in a real conversation. It's phony, <laughs> all right? You've stopped the conversation. You've stopped the sweet communion. If you withhold from God, then you withhold from basically everyone in your life. You just talk to him. Tell him everything. Has there been things in your life that you've never said to God out loud? Just say, tell him everything. Then he can heal you. Then he can change you. Just stay there and keep talking to him. What is the secret to prayer? Victory in prayer comes when you leave the unstable, shaky ground of our self-will. Oh, and our self-will is strong, isn't it? And we step off into the air of God's will. And that ground is more stable and more unshakable than anything you will ever be on that you can ever dream up in your own self-will. And it requires total dependence on God. And it requires helplessness. I used to think prayer was all about discipline. No, it's about dependence and helplessness. And that means you have to give up control. And you have to give up independence. And you give up your self-will. So... What happens when you put off your self-will? What happens when you let go of your way, doing it your way, of doing your opinions? What happens when you stop telling your husband what to do? And what happens when you, you give up trying to write your own story the way you want it? What happens? You don't know. And that's what's so scary. That's what's so scary. Do you understand? You lose control of the story. 
and I'm talking to a room full of women who specialize in control. Because of the fall, you control everything. You want to control. Your desire is to control everything. You would be shocked. I will be shocked if we were shown how much of the time we spend during the day controlling things to make ourselves feel safe. It's scary. We want to remain in control. After all, it's all we have. But while we are, are doing that, we're not trusting God and we're living as blasphemers. Yeah. So when you're doing your control thing, when I'm doing my control thing, we're living as blasphemers and not trusting God. But when we have our hands vulnerably open, stepping off into the air of his perfect will, not knowing what's going to happen, we're walking up the mountain with Abraham. That's what he did. And that's a scary place because it's going into the unknown and trusting God in ways you've never trusted him before. Giving up the controls, we actually move into the safest place we can be. When we stop clutching that thing we so desperately want, when we... It's it's very, very painful to have God pry our fingers off stuff. And when we do this, that great monster self dies a death. And we can say, not thy will, but not my will, but thine. And what do we gain in the process when we do this? When we walk up that mountain with Abraham, trusting him, we'll talk about him a little bit more tomorrow, shining brightly, believing God. You actually gain an intimate relationship with God like you've never had before. And maybe some of you don't even care (laughs) about that. Maybe that like was like, you know, (laughs) doesn't matter. You might be disappointed to hear that's all I get. (laughs) I mean, if you tell yourself the truth, oh, I want the good marriage. Oh, I want my husband to save, be saved. I want my kid to be saved. No, you're telling me that all I get is an intimate relationship with God? No, but I, I want the house. I want whatever it is, fill in the blank. You want something you can see. You want something you can touch. That's just what happened when Moses went away to speak with God. The visible manifestation of God left those people. And the first thing they did was get a, something they could see and touch. You don't think an intimate relationship with God is enough because you've perhaps never experienced an intimate relationship with God really. You have never seen the invisible hand of God jumping into the middle of every situation in your life. See, how the wonders are displayed where I turn my eye, you know that hymn? I mean, he really is everywhere, but if you don't pray, you're going to miss it. And we don't have much time here on this earth. Don't miss it. It's the most exciting, thrilling life you can lead, having an intimate relationship with God where you abide and you're walking step by step with him. He's with you every way, and you know it. You're so close to him that you can pray that the fog will be lifted and it will be lifted. And you believe it 100% just like George Mueller. There's nothing more thrilling. 
But what about unanswered prayer? What happens when God takes you to the wilderness of unanswered prayer? Because it does feel like a wilderness. Here's the hope you have. And the reality is down here. And there's a whole lot of space in here where anger and bitterness and sadness can grow between the hope and the reality. Your hope and prayer is not just happening. It's God keeps saying no. And so much emotion builds up in you. And it goes unidentified because you haven't gotten what you want and you won't share those feelings with God because you don't feel that's a good way to pray. Okay? So you stop the conversation. You stop the sweet communion. You just give up and you pull away from God and you withhold yourself from him and there is a deafening silence in your prayerlessness. Because you're not telling yourself the truth about how you feel about stuff. But I'm supposed to be like, you know, a good church lady. We'll discuss the church lady in a minute. But while you're waiting in the wilderness for God to answer, you don't want to lose that childlike wonder. You, you want to stay actively engaged with God. You want to just, in, in modern terms, you want to just stay in his face. Just stay there with him. That's what Job did. He stayed in God's face. And he told him everything about what he was feeling. I mean, Job had questions. He was pouring out his soul to God. He never defamed God's character. Job's saving faith did not fail, but he also never received one answer from God to any of his questions. And he had a lot of them. He was depressed. He was angry. He was suffering. He was filled with pain and sorrow, but he stayed actively engaged with God the whole time. Even when he felt like God had abandoned him, he kept crying out. I looked you to look for the east, I looked to the west, the north, and I can't find you, but I'm talking to you. He stayed actively engaged, and that's very important to keep talking to him. Don't fall into prayerlessness. And you may think this is an irreverent way to talk, but Job is a perfect picture of what biblical lament is. This is biblical lament. And Job and the psalmists instruct us on how to lament properly. In the Psalms are the sincere questioning from souls in dark places. These are the raw cries of an anguished soul in distress. This is honest, open praying. This is lament. Lament drives us deep into the heart of God. Lament is how Christians grieve. We had a woman in our church, been a Christian for hundreds and hundreds of years, <laughs> and she lost her husband. And because she'd been a Christian for so long, she thought she had to act like everything was okay when it was not okay. It took her two years to realize how sad she was. And finally, she lamented. After two years of pretending everything was just fine. 
When things are not fine, well, we're going to get to what, what that is. But I want you to listen to the psalmist. Um, if you just read through Psalm 1 through Psalm 150, and just mark all the times when the psalmists are crying out, I'll just give you a little example um, just so that you know that this is totally biblical. This is a totally appropriate way to pray. I was crying to the Lord with my voice. Answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have made room for my distress. Be gracious to me. Please hear my prayer. Give ear to my words. Consider my groaning. Hear the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. I am weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my tears. My eyes have wasted away. Heal me, O Lord. My bones are dismayed. Why do you hide yourself from me in times of trouble? Why do you stand so far off? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Help me. How long will you forget me forever? I mean, I'm just at Psalm 15. I'm Psalm 15. I mean, if I go and I'm looking for the orange because I do all the prayers in orange. But to you, O Lord, I called. And the Lord, I made supplication. Please hear me. Incline your ear to me. Be gracious. I'm in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief. My soul and my body also. My life is spent with sorrow. I'm only at Psalm 30. I mean, truly, I could do this for the next half hour. This is biblical lament. Bring everything to God, otherwise prayerlessness will strike, and that is deadly for believers. After a season of prayerlessness, the silence turns into bitterness and even anger, and then that can dominate your spiritual life. Being honest with God, listen to me, cracks open the door back to God. If you're angry, tell him about it. He knows it already. He's not going to be surprised and he can take it. Now, is it appropriate to be angry with God? No. But if you are, you better tell him so he can heal you. He wants us to repent of that anger, but you must tell him he can take it. You have to start with the truth. If you're confused, scared, frustrated, tell him he's unshakable. He can handle all your emotions. You can't. I can't. If you're sad, cry out to him. He wants to hear from you. He wants to take those tears and put them in that bottle we've always read about. Stay real with God. Stay open and laid bare. Stay raw with him. Raw. He knows everything already. What are you hiding? It says in Psalm 44, would not God find this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Talk to him like a child. Be honest and lament. It will turn your face to God no matter what you're feeling. Now, I don't want you, it's not about to stay wallowing in the muck and the mire of your emotions. And that's not what this is about. Okay? This is about to get you through it. But if you hide it, you will never get through it, all right? But if you're honest and you, you lament, that will lead you into God's heart where you will ask him for help. First thing is to be honest and then you ask him for help and then you choose to trust 
trust him. Then you choose to trust him in the dark. And ladies, that will lead you into the deepest worship you will ever know. Gut-wrenching honesty with God leads us to the highest and deepest God-centered worship. And God loves to take us to the wilderness of unanswered prayer to accomplish this in all of us. Why? Because when you have an unanswered prayer, a hope that is not fulfilled, what's God doing? He's doing what he is doing when he allows horrible suffering. He is drawing us into the divine conversation. He's drawing us into his heart. Oh, but if you lie about what's going on in you, you're going to miss why this is happening to you. So he's drawing you into the divine conversation, and he's also, that's where he's going to build the relationship with you. He's going to take you in that wilderness of unanswered prayer. He took a lot of wonderful people to the wilderness. Moses, Abraham, Jesus. I mean, we're in good company if you're in the wilderness, right? If he answered everything right away, we'd be worse spoiled brats than we are already. And what else is he doing in this wilderness of unanswered prayer? He is exposing us to us. When we have to wait for God to answer a prayer, God exposes our hearts to us. God will expose our fears, our sins, our selfishness, God will expose how much we love ourselves so very, very much (laughs) and how invested we are in our own well-being. And God will expose our unbelief. God will expose that we care more about our glory than God's glory. We might as well pray in my name for my glory. Amen. That will be exposed in the wilderness of unanswered prayer. What else is he doing? He's uncovering our authentic self. God burns away the facade that we have worked so hard at. He burns away the church lady. When my friend, my old beautiful friend, who's now with the Lord, when she lost her husband, it took two years for God to burn that church lady out of her and for her to finally grieve that her beloved husband of 60 years was gone. It's okay to cry. It really is. But he has to burn that church a church lady away from us because we've learned as you know church ladies, see I wasn't raised in the church and if you were raised in the church, you got that church lady down man. I don't. <laughs> I need to maybe find a little of the church lady. Because, <laughs> you know, it's always good to be respectful and dignified and all that. But you know what I mean? It's harder for somebody who knows the, how to operate within the church setting and to be appropriate. And that's what happened to my friend. She'd been there so long. She didn't know how to be authentic and human. You lost your husband of 60 years. That's sad. Oh, really? And she was just smiling, thinking everything was okay. On the outside, you're fine, and on the inside, you're just a mess. And you want to just, you know, take that to the Lord. This is the temptation for church ladies to shove everything down in you and pretend that the church lady is your real self. (laughs) 
Right, and you can't be open and honest with God. You've deceived yourself. It's a combination of self-preservation and self-deception, and that's what happened to my friend. The church lady facade is so ingrained in some that you actually think that's the real you. So if you have lived any length of time, then you have experienced disappointment. You have experienced sorrow. You have experienced heartache and suffering. And if you tell me you don't have any of those emotions, like anger maybe, I mean, it's not appropriate to be angry. You're right. We don't have a right to be angry. But you know what? You better deal with it if it's in you. And it comes out in really strange ways if you don't. Don't pretend everything's okay when it's not. We live in a beautiful world, but it's a broken world. We deal with the effects of sin every day, and we must tell God everything about everything. If you have not dealt with them properly before God in prayer, then you have withheld yourself from God and not experienced the healing touch on your soul. And if you've experienced any kind of suffering, and if you think you don't have these emotions, you've deceived yourself, and you've hidden away, you've hidden yourself away, your authentic self, who you really are, in the veneer of a church lady who always says and does the right thing. So I ask you and I ask myself all the time, what do you give to God in prayer? Do you give him your honest self or are you just giving him a pretense and saying stuff that you know you should say? Oh, everything's just fine. No, really. I rejoice in the Lord. I'm rejoicing in the Lord. And my friend rejoiced for two years before she cried. She was noble, but it was wrong. It hurt her. But she got around to it, and then she mourned, and then she lived a good many years just truly rejoicing in the Lord after she'd grieved. God could have you in a valley of unanswered prayer for years, <laughs> and all he wants is you. That's what he wants, the real you. Don't withhold from him. So what else is he doing when he, when he doesn't answer prayer right away? God wants us to surrender our will. God wants us to walk up the mountain with Abraham. Sometimes God has us in the wilderness, as I said, for a long, long time because we're clutching on to something so tightly that he has to pry our fingers off of it. He has to get our desires in the right place, and he takes us to the wilderness to do that work. And maybe while you're in the wilderness, you draw close for a while, and then you pull back, you know, and... So what's he going to do? He's going to keep you in the wilderness. Because <laughs> all he wants is you. So when prayer goes unanswered, the temptation is to walk out of the wilderness, wilderness and busy yourself doing anything, doing anything, but thinking about what's not being answered, right? And then one author calls it, you take the, the narcotic of activity. I love that. So you busy yourself. You busy yourself, and then you pretend you have a normal life and you're not waiting for anything. It's true. We're amazing how we can maneuver our way through life, right? But you have to stay engaged with God through prayer. Don't let the silence of prayerlessness take over your life. Don't give up praying. Don't pull back from him. Talk like, please, just stay there like that little girl, Olive. Please, please. 
And Hannah is a perfect example of someone who was in a really horrible situation. So I thought we just go to 1 Samuel and let's just read that first chapter. I love Hannah. Oh man, she loved me so much in this. I spent a year in this chapter. Okay, I'm really slow. I spent a whole year in this chapter. And it was at the end of the year that I finally figured out what the whole thing was about. This is how slow I am. But let's just read it. And I'm going to start, um, we're going to, we're going to not read all the big names, <laughs> all those hard names that are, but we know uh, Elkanah, okay, we'll do him, and he had two wives, so I'm in verse 2, okay, skipping all those big names, so we're in 1 Samuel 1, everybody there? 1 Samuel 1, it's right uh, before 2 Samuel, have <laughs> <laughs> we got it? All right, so here we go, so Elkanah had two wives, there's a problem. <laughs> the name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. So now you got two problems, right? And now this man would go up from the city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord. When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and all her daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. That's problem number three, right? So you got two wives, big problem. You got one who has kids no, and one who can't have kids, two problems. And then, oh, you're pay, playing favorites, so now that makes me look worse in Penina's eyes. So now I got three big problems. But the Lord had closed her womb. The Lord did that. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her. The problem is just keep increasing. Because the Lord had closed her womb. So it's not just that she's being mean to her. She's being mean to her because she can't have kids. I mean, this is just torture. This is abuse. This is just horrible. It happened year after year. And if you read in the original language, it's like year after year after year after year after year. It happened for all those children. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her so she wept and would not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you, do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? And actually the idiom is anger. She's angry here. Am I not better to you than ten sons? And Hannah's like, you know, because back then it was a, you know, if you didn't have a kid, it was over, right? Because it was all about, they were giving, you know, who's going to be in the line of the Messiah? So then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. And now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorstep of the temple of the Lord. She, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts. Now that's fascinating. That is the first time that phrase is used in the Bible. And that is calling on the warrior God to deal with Penina. He, she is calling on the warrior God, the Lord of hosts, to deal with this problem. Fascinating. If you will, 
Indeed, look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, what's happening, but will give your maidservant, she's humbling herself before the Lord, a son that I will give to the Lord all the days of his life and a razor shall never come on, on his head. And now it came about as she continued praying That means she multiplied her prayers. She doubled down. She stayed in God's face and kept praying before the Lord. And Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Then Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah replied, no, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. Do you feel what what a horrible situation she was in? Oppressed in spirit, severe emotional pain. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Here's the instruction. Poured out your soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. And basically then Eli sends her on away, go in peace. And she goes and gets this in verse 18 at the end there. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. So here's the instruction from Hannah after spending a year. <laughs> Hannah has two prayers. That was her first prayer. In, in, in 1 Samuel, Samuel chapter 2, there's another prayer. And, and what I noticed was, you know how God preserves his word, right? God has preserved his word from the moment it came off Mount Sinai. He's preserved his word. It's the most incredible story, how he got it through all the Reformation. It's just remarkable, the supernatural way God protected his word. So what's in the word is really vital, but also what's not. The second prayer of Hannah's are all her words. The first prayer are all her emotions. And there's not one godly emotion in that group of emotions. You have distress. You have a rival that is provoking you bitterly. She's weeping. She's angry. She's afflicted. She's everything horrible. She is bringing to the Lord in prayer. God preserved her emotions, ladies. He wa- And I said, oh, Hannah, God has, through Hannah, given us permission to, and instructs us as to where to take all our ungodly emotions. You don't take them to your husband. You don't take them to your friend. They can't do anything about them. They can do nothing to help you. I love when people come. Can you help me with this? No, I can't do anything. I can barely get down here to tie my shoe. (laughs) And you want me to help you with a problem? God, the Lord of hosts, helped her. So, Here's the deal. She took all her raw emotions, her anger, her deep sorrow, her her bitterness, her affliction. He shows us, God, our beautiful, beautiful creator, savior, shows us that through Hannah, that's where we take our sinful emotions. That's what God wanted us, I think, to remember out of the first prayer. 
Hannah through this horrific situation with this vicious woman, and she was vicious. And she's surrounded by all these children. I mean, have one more children. You imagine you get one more kid out of here. But that's what finally drew Hannah into the conversation. That's what drew her into that prayer. Hannah was brutally honest with God. She laid herself open and then she multiplied. She stayed there. She stayed and prayed. I don't care if you pray for the same thing for 10 years, 20 years. I've been praying for things for 20 years. I know some of you have too. You just double down. You just stay there and you pray. And she held nothing back. She didn't pull away from God. She doubled down and she prayed all those emotions. And God says, you know, I created the universe. I can really handle this problem. (laughs) God says, I know what to do and I don't need your help. I may use you to answer a prayer if I choose, but for now, he wants us to stay and pray. It's so instructive for us, ladies. This is, this is where we can be real, and I will tell you that the more you complain to God, the less you will complain to people. I will tell you that right now. And what happened? What happened in the prayer? When she was done praying, her countenance changed. She ate, she went home, trusting the Lord. Get this, nothing in this situation had changed. But God, through prayer, changed Hannah in the very act of praying. Her hands were empty when she got up from that prayer. But she was full of God, fully satisfied, intimate relationship with God. God healed her, and Hannah was satisfied with God alone. Are you? You can get there through prayer. My soul finds rest in God alone. Hannah's hands were empty, and she was fully satisfied. Battle fought, battle won, and she came back to Penina, and you know, Penina couldn't touch her anymore because the battle was over. She could do her same old routine, her rival thing, couldn't touch her because the battle was won. So God uses Hannah to give us all us gals permission to be honest with him in prayer. And the ancient, perfect, flawless word of the living God is filled with stories about real people. The stories have conflict, they have tension, they have drama, they have unanswered questions, they have baffling dilemmas, and God is at work in every single one of those stories. And we're going to go through, as I said, the entire history of the world. Tomorrow, this is where we're going to actually start tomorrow, but we're going to see that miraculously that he is in the shadows He is working millions and millions and things to bring about one thing every second of every day throughout all of history. And we're going to see little moments of this. And when you devote yourself to a life of worshipful prayer, you're going to not only get to know the author of the Bible, but he's going to become so real to you more real to you than the chair you're sitting on. You will see the invisible hand of God show up as he weaves his story through your life. You'll see him jump into the middle of the situations in stunning ways as he works out his purposes through you. 
And you will be able to pray that the fog be lifted 100% because you'll understand him. You'll be so close to him, you'll just know his will. Now, as we just bow in prayer, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about telling God something you've never told him before. He knows it, but you've never told him. And whether you do it now in your heart or whether you go home tonight, you tell him something you've never told him before. And that's going to start opening up a whole new pathway to God as you become completely honest with him. Does that sound like a good little homework assignment? Father, I just thank you so much that you have created this divine and mysterious communication system called prayer and that we can talk to you every moment and we can just have prayer air. Every breath is a prayer. One continual conversation with God, the creator of the universe who holds everything together by the power of his word and yet cares about every detail of our life, every single thing. Please, Lord, give these ladies the courage to go into a prayer life that they've never gone into before. And it starts with being honest in a way that they've never been honest with you before. Help them to tell that they would tell you something they've never told. And the floodgates would open. And that if some are discouraged and and heavy laden and, and brokenhearted, I pray that they would Learn how to lament as the psalmist did, as as Job did. And that that would drive them closer to you, dear God. And that they would trust you and dive into a deep, worshipful relationship with you like they've never had before. And we pray this in your high, holy, wonderful name. Amen.